Hi there. Welcome to On the Job with the Sweetland Digital Rhetoric Collaborative Podcast. Today, we, your hosts, uh, myself, Will Flores, and me, Nupur Ranade, are talking with Dr. Jason Tom about what insights he has about navigating uh, the end of student life, transitioning to the job market, and eventually getting a job. So here is Jason. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, can you please introduce yourself for our audiences? Sure. I am a tenure track assistant professor of technical communication and rhetoric in the Department of English at Texas Tech University. Um, just a little bit of background. Um, I received my PhD in rhetoric and scientific and technical communication from the Department of Writing Studies at the University of Minnesota in May 2019. And uh, when I was completing my PhD, I was, um, I've taught first year writing, technical and professional communication, uh, rhetoric and network communication, and content management. And now at Texas Tech, I teach user experience research, usability studies, information design, and discourse and technology. Great. Wonderful to have you here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So um, we just had a couple of questions for you about the job market. Um, but first, we just wanted to know, um, how was the transition from being a grad student to a grad class instructor? Um, what was that like for you? Sure. I consider myself extremely fortunate um, to have received a lot of support from my colleagues here at um, in the technical communication and rhetoric program, as well as faculty members that are from other areas of the English department. They all provided me access to previous course syllabi resources, gave me teaching ideas, and showed me other uh, support that are available on campus. They also looked at my materials and preparations, and this all made the transition from being a graduate student to a faculty uh, a lot easier than I anticipated. And as a new faculty member here, I also learned, um, I'm learning um, to be a citizen of this excellent department and to participate in um, decision-making processes that directly um, and indirectly affect our students. And this new role has taught me to really consider my own position, my power and privileges as I engage with different issues in programmatic design, student mentoring, collaboration and partnership and my own research. Mm. Um, do you teach any grad level classes? I do. So even starting my first semester here, I was assigned to teach a graduate seminar. And this semester, I'm also teaching another grad level course. And typically, um, the assignment here with um, tenure track faculty and tenure faculty um, is that we all teach a 2-2 load. So that means two courses per regular semester, and one of which um, it's usually at the graduate level. Mm -hmm. So how was it? Was it your first time teaching a grad class, I assume? And how was that for you? Was it intimidating or were you, were you overprepared? Or <laughs> some tips about how did, how did you prepare for that? Yes, it is. Um, well, 
technically it is my first time teaching a, a graduate level course. Um, but back at Minnesota, I have worked with um, graduate students when I was teaching uh, some upper level writing courses at the uh, 3000 and 4000 level. Sometimes I have graduate students um, sitting in those classes as well. And in fact, the summer before um, I started my position here, I was teaching in China uh, for a couple of weeks. And the, the course, the practicum course that I taught there, um, it was a content management course. Um, it was at the graduate level. Um, the students who took the, the practicum was um, masters, were masters and PhD students. Oh, great. So you talked a little bit about also teaching like first year writing and other programs. So for you, was there much of a difference? And you've already had that preparation of teaching other graduate students. Was it different for you teaching a class solely dedicated to like graduate education? Um, yes. Um, well, in terms of the content, um, I have, I'm learning to um, facilitate conversations and discussions at the graduate level um, more so than just doing lectures and um, activities in the classroom. Um, but also, I would like to also talk about the, um, the institutional culture and the technology in the classroom that also is uh, a change uh, for me. For example, um, all of the technical communication and rhetoric courses, the graduate seminars here, and some undergrad classes as well, are what we call hybrid, um, which means our on-site and online students would meet for class with the instructor via Zoom uh, video platform at a synchronous modality. So this required on my end some practicing um, as a first time hybrid instructor to get things right. Uh, but fortunately, my students are all very forgiving uh, and patient, and they're willing to share with me the nuts and bolts um, that they learned from previous classes so we can all hold classes at, um, at some level of efficiency. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really interesting. Um, so we would also like to know, while you're teaching all these classes or preparing content for these classes, we assume that a lot of it is also new and learning these new methods of delivering that content. How do you maintain your work-life balance with it? Sure. Um, for me, I have three points I like to mention here. So for me, I, it was shifting, uh, I think, from working all the time as a graduate student um, into setting specific hours now that I would be either be in the physical office or having time at home that I know that I will work to maximize my own productivity. Um, and each semester, I also have specific time that I de designate to prepare for teaching, um, to attend meetings, and to advise students. Those are sort of the main things that would take up most of my time. And outside my teaching hours, um, I have blocks of time that I try to get uninterrupted writing as much as possible. And I still write during the weekends, uh, although I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> I have regular non-work related activities that I, my partner and I engage in, um, like going to the local um, animal shelter, going to the parks and spending time with our pets. So I strongly recommend um, every academic to practice some kind of um, you know, separation from from work and do 
activities that they enjoy um, either themselves or with their family at any level because I find it reinvigorating to both the mind and the body and also helps me to get back into work easier rather than just being in that continuous working mode, not seeing the end. Um, so that that's my strategy and advice. Yeah, and you've talked about being a graduate student and just like working all the time. Was it a learning process to have to shift into this kind of, okay, I need to like take some time away from the work itself so I can do the work? Um, yes, definitely a learning process. And I, I still find myself learning because uh, at times I just have this old habit of wanting to write whenever I feel like it. Um, so telling myself that I should only work, um, you know, within the regular work um, hours in the work week helps. Um, but a lot of times, like, you know, a lot of activities fall outside of those, um, that scope. So setting, setting up time and being conscious about how much time you put into work um, also helps me see um, the, the labor. So for instance, on weekends now, I'm more conscious about when I'm working. So I'll open up my computer, I'll sit at my desk and I'll start looking at the clock. I'll be like, okay, so I start at this point, I should end, you know, before dinner time. And, you know, so I, I know for sure that I'm not writing into the night or that I'm not spending time with those that I like to spend time with. Nice. Awesome. That's very helpful. I always, as a graduate student, I know for me, I personally just always feel like I'm doing like capital the most. So it's good to know that it's an ongoing learning process, I guess. Right. I know there's some, there are some tools out there that some, some of my colleagues use to track, um, their hours. So they would like, um, use an app. I know Michael Ferris does, um, an app that, that will track, uh, how much time they put into different kind of work activities, like advising and attending meetings and writing, um, so on and so forth. And at the end of the day, they get either a daily or weekly um, output of some kind of visualization of that chart. I think that's helpful to see visually um, where you spend most of your time and adjust accordingly. I'm not that meticulous, so I can't use an app like this, but I, I can see my own calendar, right? I can see how much time I'm spending on going to meetings, how, how many percentage of that time is within my work week, um, and how much time I should be blocking out um, for writing and for working with my collaborators. I think that helps me to see where my emphasis is. Um, and it changes from semester to semester too, right? At the beginning of the semester, you might want to spend more time on course prep or you know dealing with new students but later on in the semester i think it's all about you know providing students with uh support and advising um and their meetings just like sprinkled throughout the semester um so so that's my own strategy just i guess looking at the calendar um and see how i'm using my time um I, I I like all these points and I agree definitely with chunking the time and knowing how much is too much work and we can count it because we know that there are like 40 hours and we try to keep them away for work and then the rest of it for other things. But work-wise, in terms of the number of projects, especially as a grad student, I constantly feel like I'm not doing enough. Uh, even if like you're doing enough, you just feel like based on the number of projects that there are, you could be doing so much more. And just the feeling of 
this should be enough to get a job this should be enough to get a get tenure like how do you kind of manage that saying no to some things or saying yes to things like how does that get into the work life balance again and trying to maintain mm-hmm. that right i can totally understand your um your sentiment about uh you know feeling not um doing enough as a graduate student and i was that person uh wanting to do more than others and always wanting to exceed the the expectations of the program um but being a faculty member and i'm speaking for my own context here at texas tech um it helps for me to know what the expectation is like you say for tenure and promotion so i i do actually have a number that i have to work toward and um you know number of publications and um classes that i should be teaching and the service uh expectations for for the department uh university and the profession so using those criteria help you know help me to determine um what projects i should be focusing on um should i be writing a book or should i be writing five articles so that that helps me to plan my trajectory and to then consider what to take on and what to wait on you know there are always good ideas and there are always things that you can write about right um but sometimes some of these could wait right um if they're not pressing um say if you have an idea for a book but it's not something that you could um allocate time for you could wait till you get tenure um to do that kind of project or um my other strategy and nupori might be uh familiar with this is to collaborate right to work with other researchers and other scholars and graduate students and that usually can help with um dividing the lo- the, the workload and to help move things forward and i think that that is the strategy that i believe in but doesn't always work out because it depends on who you're partnering and who you're collaborating with as well so there's a timing issue and there's also people at different stages and have different priorities so to find the alignment sometimes requires some kind of strategy and also luck so yeah so that's my that's my experience and like i said having that number having some kind of expectation clear um that is spoken and and expressed to me helps me to determine what to focus on right yeah i'm thinking about just how ambiguous the whole process of going on the job market can seem sometimes of not knowing what to expect So once you get past that and know what to, like what your expect expectations are laid out for you I think that's really really smart. Um so this kind of leads into our next question because we're a little bit interested in what your experiences were like during the job market. So if we can like rewind the clock a bit, um is there any advice you have for our listeners about uh navigating the job market kind of based on your own experiences for sure um my experience was with um i was um aiming for an r1 uh position so with that in mind i crafted my materials my cv um and my recommendation letters all sort of have that angle of wanting to be um a research first um institution faculty and I think one advice is to be really clear um in that um in that approach you know be be sure to articulate who you are and who you want to be and rather than being ambiguous so that's number 1 um and second it's just it's a long it's a marathon right it is not a sprint 
So I started somewhere at the end of summer, you know, just putting together my materials and sending out applications, um, doing interviews and then visiting campuses. And that whole process took up till um, early December, right? So it, it is a, a long process. And I'm, I'm considered lucky to, to have an offer before um, the new year. So a lot of the colleagues I know from other institutions uh, waited till slightly later. So that, again, adds to the stress that, that you already have in your final year, um, completing your dissertation and trying to graduate. So I think just having that mindset that this is not going to be a sprint, this is a long run, um, I think helps me to kind of put things into perspective and knowing that you can rush this whole process. So just take it one step at a time and do what you can to, to fulfill the requirements. And that's all. Um, other than that, everything is sort of out of your hands and you have to rely on those who are in other positions to, to help you and, and to complete this process. Um, third, I guess, being, um, trying to stay healthy um, throughout this process. I know this is a cliche, um, but I, I try very hard to still uh, work out and be outside at times when, when it's possible. Um, and to just, you know, think about your own physical health and mental um, during this process. Find your own community of support. Um, having a network of care, I think it's really important. I, I spoke about this at Computers and Writing last year. Um, being in the community really supported my own well-being and that um, supporting others as well, you know, being in um, solidarity and, and, and community, I think that is an important part of that process for me. Great. Um, I really like the point about, you know, the physical and mental health because um, we don't always get mentorship for that <laughs> or, you know, we have our own goals and our own schedules. So nobody talks about it enough, like all the time, constantly around us. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's a very personal goal or a motive that you want to satisfy. Uh, but I also feel like it shouldn't be forced upon someone. So it's also like becomes a choice then, you know, how do you navigate through that? But but thanks for bringing that, that up. That's, a, that's an excellent point. Certainly. Um, I had a question because I, I don't know, are you international? Like, did you apply as an international? Okay, so maybe we could have a question about that too, if you don't mind, which is not on the list, but I'm just <laughs> trying to dig in. As oh, go for it. <laughs> uh, so uh, here's a question. Since you applied when you were on an F1 student visa, uh, what were the considerations that you had or expectations from the school that you were applying to for jobs uh, for your visa status or which could help you, you know, go through the process of immigration much easier. Yeah, I know this is a concern for many international scholars, but I, I have to clarify, I actually did not apply while I was on an F1 visa. So I was already a green card holder um, when I was on the job market. Um, so I guess timing wise, um, this is something that international um, scholars should consider if they want to be employed in the U.S. Um, it takes time to process, right, that um, the permanent residency, if you're um, eligible 
for one. So be be sure to think ahead and give that time to to take place,、um, and then you go on the, the job market. Of course, there's no requirement that you have to be a permanent resident or a citizen to apply for、um, a position. Unless it was stated that you know they they do not want any of those applicants,、um, which will be sad I think for the institution. But other than that,、um, when navigating this whole process,、um, as as far as I know,、um, on the legal、um, legal side of things,、um, your、um, interviewers. And those you meet on campus for、um, interviews, they're not supposed to ask you about your、um, nationality, right? So you can offer that information, but they、um, they're not allowed to officially ask you to express that.、Um, but other than that,、um, I know the four C has a interest group or standing group for international scholars, so that will be. One place that I recommend looking to for resources, and there are also some communities on Facebook and Twitter that provided advice、um, during my time that I looked into、um, about navigating the job market as an international scholar. So those are resources that I would recommend looking into. I don't know in you know technical and professional communication as a field. I I haven't seen a lot of. Um, discussions or materials out there that speaks to this issue. I think this is certainly an important one, especially when we have a growing community of international scholars and graduate students. And certainly, a lot of them are interested in working in the U.S. And I feel that we should pay attention to to this、um, topic. And I do not know, you know,、um, above me with administration and with the universities hiring and HR. Um, I'm not sure how that process is gonna be like、um, in the future, but certainly we we should raise、um, uh, conversations about this. Thanks. That's that's really insightful.、Um, yeah, because I know it's a common consideration for international students, or you know, just different policies. I think this just applies to everybody who is looking for certain policies, which. Not the committee or not the hiring committee can answer your questions, but it's something that you need to dig into,、uh, like the different, I, I guess, bureaucratic processes, and you may not always know how to do that. So right, yeah, and this might be relevant to you know American scholars who want to work abroad as well. You know, I have colleagues who have gone to like Canada, you know, or South America, you know, take up different jobs.、Um, so that that's also. I guess not just pertaining to international students wanting to be in the U.S., but also you know American students who want to work abroad.、Mm-hmm. This has all been super helpful and informative.、Uh, we really appreciate it.、Um, so, do you have any other、uh, points that you would like our listeners to know?、Um, I I'll just end with a resource that I find、um, helpful, and it is the ATTW Career Workshop. That is held every year at ATTW.、Um, so sadly, this year the conference was canceled, but I do have a copy from the twenty eighteen、uh, workshop here、um, for the handout. So I'm willing to share and chat、uh, with anyone about this. And I know there is also、um, Karen Kalski, 
um, Sky, and she is the um, the author for um, the Professors in uh, book. So there's also a short guide online that I would recommend, um, you know, listeners to look up, and I find that to be straightforward and um, helpful during the whole process when I was on the market. Nice, that's an excellent resource. Um, we'll link that stuff in the the show notes and in the blog post for the episode. So we appreciate that. Thanks for that. That's a great resource um, that I'm sure the audience would be interested in. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Um, So, Jason, um, do you have any uh, links to Twitter, LinkedIn, website that you'd like to share? For sure. Um, My personal website is jasontom.com. And my Twitter handle is jasoncktom. And you can definitely, uh, we can definitely connect there. Nice. And we'll link those as well. We might reach out to you if we need anything more. <laughs> uh-huh, for sure. Yeah, I can share that link, uh, like I said, from ATTW and, and Karen Kelsky's guide. Um, and I, I will include my, my Twitter and my, uh, my website link there for you as well. So you have them. So in closing, uh, uh, I wanted to thank you, Jason, for being with us today and giving us all these great insights into applying for jobs and just living our lives as graduate students and transitioning into um, this huge field of TechCom and navigating it. Um, Some of the key lessons that I got from this uh, talk were setting up goals and I think you made a great point about how to set clear expectations for yourself and if the organization can help you do that that's better and the second thing is like preparing for a marathon so it's not a sprint I I really like that point so we're here for a long time and it is uh, a long process it's unlike other interview processes maybe in the industries or other places where and the process is much shorter. This is longer, so kind of preparing for that. So thank you for all this great advice, and uh, we enjoyed having you in here, Jason. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me.